welcome to a special double episode of What Have I Got in My Trousers? Jack Lane, the story of the ant, who was also a mother. Hello, I'm Darby Fawcett, and welcome to Meandering Chats with People You Don't Know. Oh, it's, it's not much good, is it? Once you're on it, you're off it. It doesn't even make it to this side of the river, look. A clip there from Holland's Shortest Bridge, the four-episode podcast documentary event. Hello and welcome to the Soundheat Podcast. I'm John Luke Roberts, the CEO and fun captain of Soundheap Inc. I've loved podcasts ever since I was a little boy, and I hit my head on the kitchen island and saw the future in a prophecy. Soundheap is currently home to 1,254 podcasts, and I couldn't be prouder of my lovely little company. Who's a lovely company? You are. You are. Yes, you are. Yeah, yeah, you. Over the next half hour, I am delighted to give you listeners a taste of all the treats we have to offer. Coming up, we've got a clip from Celery Brate, the podcast in which Anna Gland pays tribute to a vegetable you may know as the edible gutter or savoury rhubarb or nature's philtrum. That's right, I'm talking about celery. I often go down and feed the ducks, but I just feed them celery because, of course, they can't digest most breads. And so people bring bread to the ducks and the swans and it just makes them very unwell whereas celery doesn't have that impact at all because they won't eat it but before that this then 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 and now is soundheap inc's flagship history podcast let's have a listen the first voice you'll hear is professor marganant hoyle visiting professor at Donono university I discovered that there was a um, different kind of um, utensil that we don't see anymore on mm. on tables. Uh, there were pictures, and I thought, oh, is it just because they don't know how to draw? Because in medieval times, I don't know if you've seen dogs that they drew then, but they're not very good, and people are not very, very flat. So I thought maybe this is just some kind of flat fork or a flat spoon or a flat knife, but it's, uh, it's sort of all three together and yet none of them. I'm Serenity Birch, continuity producer on Soundheap Inc.'s flagship history podcast, then, 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 then and now. In this week's episode, The Fourth Cuttle, we look into the extraordinary story of the Sfrangle, the dinner table's lost implement. Just what, we ask, was it for? You can eat soup, but only the the, the hard bits of the soup. Uh, it's it's for people. I, I believe one of the uses for it was for people who didn't like soup and don't like liquid, but don't like to be rude when they're at a dinner party. And so they can eat the soup and look like they're eating the soup, but really they're just eating the solid bits that haven't been mushed up yet. There was a particularly um, tough. Um, Vegetable. Professor Anthony Emesis, University of Big Things. That was grown in the home counties, called the crack, uh, which was a sort of nut stroke, potato, turnip, sweet corn object. 
and it was very difficult to praise it open with the usual items of cutlery. And this is where Strangle very much came into his own. I found myself wondering, could we hope to one day hold the Strangle in our hands, or whatever it is you use to hold a Strangle in? I dream of it, you see. I dream of the Strangle. And because of this, um, my husband left because I would scream Strangle multiple times a night. And he said it was um, unnerving. So to start with, he just moved into the spare room. uh, But now he has left completely. And the children have also gone because um, they are sick of trying to use my prototypes. They said, Mum, please, could we just have normal knife, fork and spoon? And I said, no, this is helping with my research. So, you know, they all got very hungry. And because it's very hard to eat with a strangle, uh, or certainly the prototypes that I've come up with, uh, because obviously I'm working in three dimensions from a very two-dimensional picture um, and from descriptions. And I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, a painting of a kangaroo by someone who's never seen a kangaroo. It doesn't look like a kangaroo. One can only make, I think, what could be described as an aberration. I have seen some attempts at the recreations of Strangles and have been physically sick of the sight of them. So please, download. Then, 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 and now, wherever you get your podcasts. For now, I'll leave you with Professor Emesis' words on what he would say to a Strangle were he to find one. I miss you. I miss you as a lover misses the very essence of her heart's desire. I miss you as a child misses its parent when it's gone down the shops to get some detergent. I would fall upon my knees and kiss its feet, not that it has anything that is close to feet, but I would get as close as I could to what it had near to being feet, and I would kiss them. And thanks to Sir Edderby Birch for the production work on that. I'll pass that on when I see her. Thanks, Shepherd and Foresight. In Chinwags with Charities and Non-Profits, Maxwell L. has fun, informal chats with charity workers and representatives. This week, Maxwell has a good old industry gossip with fish charity head honcho Keith Barter. Well, Keith, it sounds uh, like you do a lot of great work at the Royal Society for the Betterment of Fish. And I'm going to ask you the question we ask all our guests. Um, which, what, what would you say was the worst charity? Oh, well, you're pushing me here. Uh, Worst. Well, all charity. When you're at the charity convention and there's all the different stores and all the different charities, what's the one you look at and you go, oh, no, that's not, no, I don't, they shouldn't be doing that. Oh, there must be one. It's pandas. Pandas? Is the, yeah, 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 the uh, uh, Panda Protection League, the PPP. Why, I don't understand why there is a UK wing for a start. Like, how many pandas are you seeing around? Do you know what I mean? And like, why are you trying to protect? And they gave they, people give them money. People give them money, and it's like, and to be honest, like, also, have you ever tasted panda? You're listening to Soundeep. Lord, give me strength.
I was making um, mazaka and texted lots of aubergines. And, right. That makes uh, sense. You're making it. It's an aubergine based. Yeah, to a guy I I'd met recently um, at a party and was just having over with lots of others. And well, I I don't want to. It's fine. That's I don't want to. Anyway, eggplants. I didn't know that. Well, no, what do you mean? Well, so no, you no, texted the it's, and well, he it's, said, it's, presumably it's, he said, oh, you must be making a masaka or maybe uh, an aubergine. No, no. He said I, he texted, I'm not interested. And I thought he meant in Mazaka. Yeah, it might but be fun. No, I think aubergines suggest you're interested in somebody romantically. I don't know how. I don't know why an aubergine would suggest love or but anyway, that's what I've discovered. I consider myself very with it and I've not heard of that at all. No. That was a clip from Winky Face Little Shit, now Britain's third most popular emoji discussion podcast. And if you like that, you'll probably love this. It's Memes with Val. Hello, welcome to Memes with Val. Wow. This is a funny wee meme. It's ever so funny. Uh, it's kind of about different stages and levels of understanding. Um, so, uh, you've got to imagine there's all these pictures, and honestly, I don't know where they get these pictures from. I said to my friend Elsie, I said, Elsie, these look like they're some, some, from some kind of new age book that you get sold on the street. And Elsie said to me, oh no, they're a lot more like some kind of superhero transformation. I said, yeah, Elsie, I don't know what you've been smoking, but I'd like to have some myself. So... In the first picture, it's kind of a brain, just a normal brain. And it might say something normal, like um, Sandy from the Bowls Club just loves bowls, you know, because Sandy's always there. And then there's like a new brain that's kind of a little bit, a little bit smarter than the normal brain. And it says, Sandy from the Bowls Club knows if he goes to bowls early. He can steal whatever biscuits he likes. Okay, well, I'm sorry, Sandy, for the ribbing, but we all do know it's true. Okay, then there's like a smarter brain here. And that one might say, Sandy from the Bowls Club doesn't even like bowls. He only likes the drinks and snacks. Okay. <laughs> and the fourth one might say, nobody at the Bowls Club likes bowls. They're all there for the drinks and snacks. <laughs> except Marie. Okay, so it's kind of a way to understand things better, but to be a little bit cheeky when you understand them, you know, say, otherwise I don't know if you get away with, you know. So look out for that meme online. You can enjoy that meme. We've had quite a few emails in saying how much you love memes with Val and asking where Val's beautiful, exotic accent comes from. I asked Val, and she told me she was born in the village of Plucks Gutter in Kent, in the southeast of England. Her parents were stars of the touring musical scene, performing what was then called a Scotch impersonation act, under the name Malcolm and Morag, the thieving Ouija's. Now I'll hand over to Camilla Ferrara to talk about her upcoming Soundheat release. Have you seen my Gunther? Hello, I'm Camilla Ferrara, host of upcoming podcast, Have You Seen My Gunther? 
in which we platform world-class actors and they share their takes on the iconic character of Gunther from Friends. Actors like Sir Ian McKellen. I remember I first played Gunther on tour um, going around these theatres in the 1970s in the north of England and um, it was the first time that a lot of people had seen any theatre and certainly the first time they had seen Gunther and it blew them away and that's what we forget that's what we forget darling these days we forget to take Gunther to the people Andrew Scott Gunther is hope Gunther is fate's fool the ghost of Kenneth Williams oh Gunther is outrageous Gunther is a total buffoon, but at the same time, she is a very uh, educated and uh, extremely erudite character with a rich uh, inner life. And he just wants to scream and shout, but he is uh, not allowed. And, um, yes, that is really uh, what I like to do uh, with, uh, with Gunther. Andrew Scott again. And he is the hub of the wheel, and the six friends are the spokes, and that's what we look at. But without Gunther, they would fly apart. Jack Nicholson. Gunther's an asshole, and I love to play assholes. Richard Wilson. Gunther is, is a part that I can play just standing at the back and that so I, I don't have to to move a great deal and that's very very pleasant when you get to to my age so subscribe to have you seen my Gunther wherever you get your podcasts and be the first to hear how these greats of stage and screen perform Gunther's classic speeches Say, Rachel, I was wondering if you'd like to go to a movie with me sometime. As my lover. (laughs) Two out there. Maybe you'd just like to get something to eat with me sometime. As my lover. (laughs) What does Rachel see, this guy? I love Rachel. I wish she was my wife. (laughs) Hey, buddy. This is a family place. Put the mouse back in the house. (laughs) I can't wait. And thanks to Derek Jacobi for additional production work on that segment. In Why Didn't You Come to My Party, Erica, host Jennifer Fork tries to find out why Erica, a woman she thought was her friend, didn't attend her birthday party. Each episode, she talks to a friend or acquaintance of Erica's to try to get to the bottom of it. This week, the guest is Ben Hand, a man who tempted in Erica's office for three months, two years ago. Let's play. Let's play. Uh, what would Erica say? So this is the speed round where I 
am going to tell you news from my life from the last month or so, and you are going to role play as Erica and just and just say what you think she would say. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Erica, I finally got that promotion at work. Uh, well done. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm very happy for uh, you. Yeah. Ugh. Erica, it's been a really long week. I feel like I've had my period for a year. Oh, do you want to come around and watch movies? Yeah, I would. Okay. Hey, Erica, will you come to my 30th birthday party that I've been planning for months? And will you bring ice? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah, of course I'll bring ice. Yeah. Okay, that's wrong. Because uh, that's not that's not what she would say. That's not. Or, um, or actually, I take that back. That is right. She would say that. But then she would. This isn't what would Erica do? Because if it was, what would Erica do? It would be uh, disappear off the face of the earth. Uh, Erica, uh, my my grandparents are really, really sick. And I'm feeling very stressed out because I can't go back to the States. And um, I'm having a really hard time connecting with people here because everyone's very polite. And they say that they're being nice and kind, but they're not. They're just avoiding talking to me. And I know that they hate me because I'm American. And I try to do it. I try to do an English accent sometimes, so just so people will leave me alone and not think I'm American, but then they think I'm making fun of them. Like, I think everyone's a cockney orphan. Like, hello, please have me. Calm calm down. Nobody hates you. That sounds really hard. It sounds like you're going through something really difficult. I'm so sorry about your grandparents. Just take some deep breaths. Um, You know, I'm here for you now. I'm here for you you, when you need me. Um, Just, uh, you know, just... Just sit in, sit in as hard as it is. Just try and sit with that feeling and just let it, feel it. Feel it all, you know, feel it. All right. And that's our show. Thanks so much for being on, Ben. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, no. Is that, that's it. <laughs> um, Th- uh, thank you. you. I hope, I hope you're all right. I hope, I hope you're okay. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, and Erica, um, Uh, on Thursday I'll be at our park just standing there in case you want to meet me I miss you Behind the Screams takes you behind the scenes of the UK's top scare attractions it's made up of interviews from staff and customers at places like the London Bridge Nether Pit and West Belfast's Frightening Shed here's a clip from episode 5 when they interview a customer coming out of Nottingham's Maze of Terror Need a hot sugary drink. <laughs> oh my goodness. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So you go in and it's like there's like three people in. Have you seen the scream? Yeah, there's like three people in scream masks and they. I mean, they. They punch you. I'm not gonna. They. They kind of beat you up. It's like all the fun, you know. It's only a fiver kind of thing. Um, And they say stuff to you like, you've only paid a fiver. You know, we're worth more and stuff. And they like hissing at me. And it was amazing. It was like a ghost train, but you were in a shopping trolley. And there were people just throwing shopping in on top of you. It's like, it's the weirdest thing. And then, like, they were saying, oh, this is what it was like in the olden days when people had lots of kids and had to put them in, in the trolley and just get... Like, like, is that even true? <laughs> I don't care. It's just amazing. And there was a guy dressed as an old king and all that. I mean, I don't really care about history, so I wasn't that interested in him. But he sort of gave a speech about 
oh, you know, you've all paid a fiver. That seemed to be a common theme, like, you've all paid a fiver. Um, like, you know, like, we're worth more. Like, the guy dressed as the king would say, like, I've been, on ho- I've been in Hollyoaks and I'm not getting paid very much for this and you've all only paid a fiver. <laughs> we were just all laughing. We were like, what? And then, um, and then at the end you get covered in custard. There's no explanation for it. It's just... And then, yeah, yeah, no, it's custard. And I love custard. I don't care that my, my clothes are... It's, amazingly, it's soaked me to the skin. You wouldn't think custard, it's quite a thin custard. I don't care, it's a cold day. I'm just going to walk off and, and be happy that I've had this experience. I feel really alive. They were saying stuff like, oh, this custard's reduced to clear and, and don't worry about it and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, it's a really exhilarating experience. Now, let's talk about taxidermy. You might think you don't like taxidermy. You might think, taxidermy? No thank you, not for me, no thanks. But ask yourself this. Do you have a dead animal stuffed and mounted in your house? Maybe a bear, maybe an otter, maybe a stoat. Oh, you do. Of course you do. Well, you might be surprised to know that that is taxidermy. Which brings us to our next podcast, Amataxidermy. In Amataxidermy, amateur taxidermists Lorenzo Hacking and Stephen Bez chat all things amateur taxidermy. Let's take a listen. They do give it structure, mm. but I don't believe bones are left in taxidermied I'm objects. just worried as soon as you take the bones out, it's going to collapse. It's going to flop. Just collapse yeah. and you'll lose the shape. So you need to maintain the structure yes. while removing the bones. Yes. Which presumably, if you were to, if you were to inflate the animal uh, and keep, mm. you know that when you've got a bouncy castle or um, something like that, there's an that constant bed. kind of pump, an airbed, yes, yep. and it's maintaining the airflow in. Presumably, there's a taxidermy tool like that. Yeah, which you potentially, can which will also, while you're blowing a gust of wind in, mm. that will push out the bone at the same time. The wind replaces the bone. That's and now you're a wonderful you're, idea. You're you've got you've got structure again. Yes, yes, yes. That's very good. Uh, sort of two birds, one stone. Uh, I'm imagining I'm imagining a bear at this point, and I am imagining it sort of flopping around a bit, like those you know those those things outside car sales rooms, those big long oh, tubes yeah. with the uh, you blow the air through. But that's fu- I mean that, I think that's is, is that taxidermy. I'd like to take this opportunity to say hello to our international listeners. Or should I say ni hao or bonjour or, well, I think I've covered everything. We have a royal family here in the UK and thank God we do. Otherwise, we'd have nothing to put on the stamps or make TV shows about. Here's an extract from the latest episode of Soundheap podcast, House of Windsor, Behind the Ermine. This episode looks at the long, bizarre tradition of the hazing of the poet laureate. Hello, I'm Dr Amelia Fluff and I did my PhD on the secret hidden rituals of the Saxe-Coburg family, otherwise known as the royal family. Well, of course, the rituals changed so much over time. Charles II would, of course, try and set up a kind of system of pulleys that would string up the laureate like a puppet and leave him there for days. Now, of course, the Queen's not going to do something like that, although whether she's tempted to, we don't know. But it's really an idea that the Poet Laureate is um, 
almost replaced the jester in the Royal Society of a, a, a spirit to be mocked and debased whenever possible. So when he visits Buckingham Palace or whatever residence she is in, Windsor Castle, uh, Balmoral, it is the utmost importance that he is mocked immediately. So, for instance, the first thing they do is he has to look... They say, oh, look over there, and they tie his shoelaces together. So that's the first thing that will always happen. And the wet sausage ritual, which I won't go into here. The bullet points are, it's deeply, deeply painful, humiliating, and involves uh, sausages from different areas of the, the realm, slicing of the sausage, laying it out on the floor, and then the poet must recite a sonnet of their choice, whilst eating the sausage off the floor, nibbling it along, which, of course, you know, the whole length of Buckingham Palace, you're there for a long time while she's just watching. So the poet laureate stands there as the entire, you know, below-stairs crew chant, find the goon, 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 find the goon, goon, queen behind them clapping. They run round the palace looking, 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 what am I looking for? And they shout, warmer, colder, no goon all the time, no goon. Eventually, the poet lord will find a mirror. This can take hours, obviously, because you're looking, you're picking up different objects, there's so many objects in Buckingham Palace. Finds a mirror. Then when they see their reflection in the mirror, all the maids and servants and footmen will shout, there's the goon, there's the goon! And they realise they are the goon they have been searching for. Now, of course, very mischievous, very funny. But if that's taken... 10 hours of someone's day just running around with people shouting find the goon 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 queen in the background laughing that's humiliating that's unnerving and and to then be told afterwards oh will you write a poem about covid19 you know that's very difficult after you've been through an experience like that suddenly have to go and do something evocative the rules of the poet laureate is you cannot warn the new poet laureate that this is going to happen. So, of course, the first visit is the most horrific. Much of the work of the past poet laureates, there'll be a poem, you'll hear it on the radio, and you'll think, well, that's awful. What the hell is that about? But it's a code. It's a code, a direct message to Elizabeth herself. I feel for Andrew Motion. I don't like feeling for him because he has suffered the most. I, the, the gossip from the palace is that she's really, she really went for him, viciously, because she disliked him so much immediately as soon as she saw him. And so um, she really, really went for him and, and he has actually introduced new rituals, which she's claiming are, oh, well, Andrew, you know, everybody's done this. This is from 300 years ago. It's not. She's just inventing them to torture him. Um, he said that's the reason his poetry got bad, but if you look at the work prior to being poet laureate, it's very similar, so I don't think he has that as an excuse at all. Uh, yes, so this is one of the coded Hunting of the Goon, Andrew Motion, uh, poems I'll read now. And, you know, make of it, you'll understand the code now. Here we go. Oh, here I go again. Life. Finding myself all alone as I approach the castle. The castle is grand, but you inside are not so. Though you haunt me, Lady E, I find you. I find you. 
I find you. Think me gone not too soon. I'll come back. Your sincerely goon. The code's very clear, isn't it? Will it die? Will it die with uh, with William? I know, obviously, if Harry was to take over, he, he said outright, the papers won't report on it, he said outright he would ban this. He thinks it's terrible. William, of course, is a traditionalist, you know, Charles as well, so I, I think in many ways it'll stay for a little bit longer, and in a way, I'm glad. And that brings us just about to the end of this week's Taste Pod. But before we say boop boop for another week, there's just time left for our punch out. In Your Gift's Shit Mate, recipients of bad gifts confront their gift givers. This week, Eleanor Parcel takes her 11-year-old son to task for the Simpsons-themed chess set he got her for her 40th birthday. I don't think there's anything particularly dignified or noble about Homer Simpson as a chess king. For a start, he wouldn't be the king, okay? The king would either be... Um, Groundskeeper Billy, who has the most authority, I think, in the whole place. Or Mr Burns, who is, you know, the autocrat of the situation. Um, but, I mean, Marge, yes, she could be a queen, she's got tall hair. If otherwise, no, I don't see any parallels between a small-town suburbanite family and a very ancient game which very much signifies, you know, the, the power struggle in an ancient kingdom. So, um, so no, it's, it's, it's silly. And, and also, you know, I've never seen a horse character in Please The Simpsons, stop. so who's going to play the knight? It's, it's fun. It's, it's frivolous. I think if they're going to do chess, novelty chess sets from television shows, it's going to have to be television shows you could imagine as chess pieces. So basically Game of Thrones and maybe Midsummer Murders, but that's it. Nothing, no cartoon Sorry. people, um, nothing yellow it's it's an ancient art and you you can't you you know you've you've got to be respectful at the same time as being fun Soundheap was presented by me John Luke Roberts and featured Alexis Dubas Eleanor Morton Ellis James Erin McGathy Carrie Ad Lloyd Gareth Gwynn Johnny Donahoe Josie Long Catherine Parkinson Ken Cheng Kevin Eldon Margaret Cabon Smith River Hall Ruth Bratt and Tom Tuck the original music was by Paddy Jervis and Rob Sell at Torch and Compass, and the producer was Ed Morrish. Soundheap is a Lead Mojo production for Audi. Boop, boop.